in John's Gospel. And uh, the series, which I've announced previously, is entitled Believing in Jesus, the Son of God. And that really is the aim of John the Apostle, John the Evangelist, in writing his Gospel, as he says in chapter 20. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John's desire for the churches that he knew and loved. And it's God's desire in preserving this word uh, that we might come to that same saving knowledge. We're going to be in chapter 3 this afternoon. Uh, a very famous chapter, and not so long ago we we actually had a sermon in uh, John chapter three. Um, so uh, we'll be back in there. Is there is so much for us to be blessed by in it? I've entitled the sermon Two Rabbis, One Savior." Two Rabbis, One Savior. Okay, and I will be continuing to. To continuing to ask the question, is Jesus just a good teacher, just a rabbi to you? Or is he your saviour and Lord? What do you think you know about Jesus? I ask a similar question this morning. Well, in our text today, we're going to meet a man who should have known all there was to know about the Messiah, about the Christ who was coming into the world. A devout and responsible man, steeped in the scriptures, and carrying the badge of authority as one of Israel's learned teachers. Nicodemus ought to have faith figured out. Yet Nicodemus needed Jesus also to explain the basics to him. The challenge for us in such a familiar text is to approach it with eyes to see, with a desire to truly learn and embrace our greatest need. The need not simply for a good teacher or role model, but a saviour, as C.S. Lewis said. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Friends, instead we must wrestle with the biblical eyewitness accounts and pray for the illumination that comes only from the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to read from chapter 3, verse 1 through to verse 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, 
for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and yet you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly what he has done has been done through God. This is God's word. Let us be thankful, and may he help us and grant us understanding this afternoon. I've got three R's for you. Firstly, rabbi with a question mark. Rabbi. Secondly, rebirth. And finally, rescue. Rabbi, question mark. Rebirth and rescue. Friends, Jesus is no ordinary rabbi, no ordinary teacher, and neither was Nicodemus. Not only was he a Pharisee, he was also a member of the ruling council. And so Jesus recognises Nicodemus and says that a man of his learning ought to know the signs that have begun to be seen in the ministry of Jesus. What of the signs? What have we seen already recorded in John's Gospel? Well, we've heard the marvellous testimony uh, about Jesus from both John the Evangelist, the writer of the Gospel, and from John the Baptist, Jesus' own cousin. 
We've heard the convictions of Jesus' first disciples hinting at his identity, which included the testimony of Nathaniel, who was blown away by Jesus' intimate knowledge about him, something that nobody but God could have known. At the beginning of chapter 2, we saw the first of Jesus' signs, the great signs recorded in this gospel, the turning of the water into wine at the wedding at Cana in Galilee. Of course, Jesus was already doing other works, as John's already told us in chapter 20, not specifically recorded in the gospel. And those things caused the word about Jesus to spread and for his fame to grow, enough so that it caught Nicodemus's attention and no doubt other members of the ruling council. The extraordinary sensation about Jesus has moved this rabbi enough to come and find Jesus, but not enough that Nicodemus would come during the day. Now, this could be a gesture of deference and respect to Jesus, not to disturb him during working hours. But it could also be that Nicodemus is afraid of being seen associating with this upstart Galilean teacher. Or, given the fact that Jesus later contrasts the people's love for the darkness, which hinders them coming to the light, Maybe that is something true for Nicodemus. As we know from John the Evangelist, the word of God, Jesus, whose very life is the light of men. He has come into the world. Yet the darkness has not overcome or understood this light. Chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. Could it be that Nicodemus is trying to understand? What about you? You're a regular attender at this chapel. You're getting to know the other people here. Have you come to truly understand who Jesus is and why he came? Did he come for you? I mean, there are many people who, like Nicodemus here, haven't yet figured out who Jesus is. And so has his identity been revealed to you? Perhaps you've been raised in a Christian family and it's all you've known to come to church to call Jesus Lord. But what does that really mean to you? What impact has Jesus had on your life? What difference does he make day by day? Not only does Nicodemus approach Jesus by night, he also seeks to hide his lack of understanding, proudly stating what it is they do know about Jesus. That God must be with Jesus in order for the signs to be possible. But he's just not sure what these mean. Jesus, what does this mean? Who are you and why are you here? Maybe you're just as hazy, equally unsure, even having years of church attendance under your belt. Nicodemus couldn't have had better religious credentials. Yet what does Jesus tell him? You must be born again. 
the remarkable thing is that it is highly likely, praise God, that this is what happens to Nicodemus. At his defense of Jesus, at Jesus' trial uh, or questioning in chapter 7, verses 50 to 51, and in his anointing of Jesus' body after the crucifixion, chapter 19, verse 39, suggests Nicodemus came to faith in Christ, came to see who Jesus truly was. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus taught this Pharisee who knew so much about the religious law and system, yet who needed to find and get to know Jesus. And that Jesus invited him in. Friends, Jesus does that for us too when he opens our eyes and causes us to believe in him. Make no mistake, Jesus is not just another rabbi. He's not just simply a wonder worker. He is God in the flesh. He is, as John the Evangelist says, fully God. And Jesus says, you must be born again. This is my second point, rebirth. Jesus tells Nicodemus that unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God, verse 3. This is true for each one of us too. It is not enough to have Christian parents or grandparents. It is not enough to attend church week by week or even to support the church financially. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us, without faith it is impossible to please God. And this faith, says Jesus, is faith specifically in him and the work he came to do at the cross. To turn away the wrath of God due for our sins and to pay the ransom due to set us free. Each and every one of us who believes in him. Nicodemus asked Jesus, how is it possible to enter your mother's womb again and be born a second time? Verse 4. Obviously, if a man as well taught as Nicodemus can be confused about this, surely we can too. So what does it mean for us to be born again? Born, as Jesus says in verse 5, of the water and the spirit. Now that very phrase itself might have left you scratching your head. I'm going to give you something to think about. See, some have suggested that the mention of water here refers to baptism. However, in the context of Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus, baptism has not been mentioned. So it's hard to think that uh, that is necessarily what Jesus wants to Nicodemus to understand. Others have suggested that, given the immediate context of what Nicodemus has said about natural birth a second time, that this water refers to a woman's waters breaking shortly before giving birth. However, scholars think that there is insufficient evidence to suggest that this was a common way of referring to human birth at this time. No, the third and perhaps best explanation is that both of Jesus' terms, water and spirit, refer to supernatural birth. 
Jesus is therefore saying, as the Old Testament prophets said, for example, Ezekiel the prophet, chapter 36, verses 25 and 26, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean for all, from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. See, both elements, spiritual. And the prophet Isaiah, chapter 44, verse 3, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. You see how God's word speaks with unity? How Jesus Christ, as prophet of prophets, sums up what has been said already. This explains why Jesus is surprised that Nicodemus, a scholar and teacher of Israel, does not realise this. Especially following the great messianic sign recorded for us in chapter 2. Come on, Nicodemus. Why do you think these great prophets recorded these details? Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Verse 10. No, says Jesus. You do know what is written. And now you are seeing the testimony before your very eyes. But you do not receive our testimony. Verse 11. Why is it that Nicodemus does not receive this testimony? Because he is yet to be born again. He cannot receive it. And neither can anyone else unless and until they are regenerated by Holy God. Until that spirit is poured out on them like water and their eyes are opened. Friends, this is why Jesus goes on to explain as sinful human beings, we are unable to save ourselves. We are unable to choose Jesus because we loved the darkness rather than the light because our works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed, says Jesus, verses 19 to 20. Now as our brother Prabhaka reminded us on Wednesday evening, there is none righteous. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. Not even one. Each of us left to our own devices, will pursue our evil desires and will seek to hide the reality from God, just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Instead, God must come looking for us. And that is precisely why Jesus came, as he says in our text. Hallelujah. Jesus must come and save each one of us and make it possible for us to believe in him and to begin to do what is true and come to Jesus for salvation and eternal life. That is the rescue I want to speak about, my final point. This great rescue mission of Christ is precisely what Jesus tells Nicodemus about. He doesn't beat about the bush. This is the purpose of Messiah, 
Jesus says. Jesus refers to another Old Testament text that Nicodemus would be familiar with, that found in Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 to 9. The story of the rebellious Israelites who murmured and complained against God and his prophet. Does that sound familiar? That's what we're like, isn't it? That's what human beings are like. Shaking our fists at God and complaining about the circumstances of our lives. How it's not fair. The rebellious Israelites murmured and complained against God and his prophet. And let's remember that before our eyes, our eyes were open and we came to Christ, we were no different from these faithless Israelites. And so they grumbled and complained and then God, what did he do? He sent fiery serpents among them as punishment. And many of the Israelites died from the bites that they received from these serpents. How many people today die from the wounds inflicted by their sin? People will say, oh, it's pie in the sky, this Bible. Fiery serpents. We better believe that sin has a price and has a consequence. The same thing would happen to us if the Lord our God didn't act graciously and lovingly to save us. Amen. And so the Lord told Moses, didn't he, to put a bronze serpent on a pole with the promise that whoever looked at it would live. And so Jesus' comparison of that event with his own future lifting up at the crucifixion under the curse of God would grant salvation to all who came to look to Jesus in faith. Praise God. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Not as popular as verse 16, but it's a vital verse for us to know, friends. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, one of the most outwardly righteous men in all Israel, that he must be born again. And he must put his trust wholly in this Jesus. Remember that Jesus also said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5 verse 20, just at the end of the passage about the Beatitudes that we heard of this morning. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Right? So this Nicodemus, with all his religious credentials, it's no surprise that he has to be born again, just like any of us. Because his righteousness is not enough. We can be 100% sure that if Nicodemus needs to be born again, then so do we. So have you come to Jesus? Or do you prefer to hide in the darkness? What is it that you love? Things that belong in the darkness? Or do you prefer to do what is true? That's a strange saying, isn't it? 
to do what is true, verse 21. I mean, we can know what is true and teach what is true, but do what is true? Friends, what Jesus is saying is that truth is a matter of both thought and practice. It is no good us just knowing what is right. In fact, the word tells us that humankind has the truth written on our hearts. Our consciences convict us of the truth. It's what eats so many people up, week in, week out. What matters is knowledge combined with lives that demonstrate the validity and the desirability of that truth. Of Jesus, ultimately. Sadly, it's all too easy to do what is wicked. Friends, it is precisely because we have all followed our first parents into the path of unrighteous rebellion against God that in love he has acted to save by giving his one and only son to be lifted up on the cruel cross of shame Willingly bearing our wrongdoing, our sins. Jesus announces his glory and singular ability. Jesus' superpower to save the lost and forgive our sin. Wow. Hallelujah. As we learnt at the end of our last sermon in John, at the end of chapter 2, Jesus knows all people. He knows us. And he knows what is in us. This is why he does not entrust himself to us, but to his heavenly Father, who ensures the completion of his mission to save his people from their sins. That's why he was given the name Jesus as Matthew tells us in his Gospel, chapter 1, verse 21. Let's bow our heads in prayer.